I didn't. I, I didn't know whether we were going to have a you know a, a small uh, little get together or who would show up. And it's lovely to see all of you here. I'm Sherry Sherry Morrill, and uh, most of you know the the history of the Bible study. If you were at the brunch the other day, I mentioned, uh, and I'll say in passing, this is our 37th year of having a Bible study here at Stony Brook. And the idea, yeah, who's good? Uh, that was one of the oldie moldies back there. Um, I was thinking that a game we could play was, how many years have you known Sherry? So let's do this. Um, if you've known me more than 20 years, raise your hand. Robin has, Donna has, Mona, no? It's pushing 20 anyway. All right. So Robin is an alumnus of the school. We actually have two. Kate over here is an alumnus of the school. She just told me she was turning 42, and I'm feeling very old. Uh, so over 20. So maybe over 10. You've known me for over 10 years. So Graham, lots of Stony Brook folks that have been around a while. How many of you, you this is your first year at Stony Brook? Let's see those. Oh, we're so glad you came. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a real honor to have you here. Lizzie. Oh, I love the name tag. See, I can call you by name instead of, hey, you, back by the door. Would you mind closing the door? The air con will work better if we do that. And Miss World needs air con. By the way, bring sweaters to Bible study because <laughs> I tend to make it about 42 degrees in here. Um, anyway, this is the 37th year. It started because there were some moms that had put their kids in, in, in school. They were getting Bible classes, and the poor mom didn't know diddly, and so was you know, sharing with me in the hallway that she felt lost. And I said, well, I'd be happy to, to meet with you, and we could start a little Bible study, and out of that grew a study on Tuesdays, and we've been doing it ever since. Um, we have a mixture of people. Uh, some uh, folks that their kids have been here and gone, or I've known them for a long time. Uh, then we've got, you know, brand new moms that got kids in, in uh, the preschool and uh, everything in between. So I'm delighted you're here. Um, fair warning: this is not your um, uh, come to Bible study talk for 45 minutes, uh, eat for 10 minutes, and study God's word for five minutes kind of Bible study. <laughs> This is a study the Bible kind of Bible study. Uh, so if you uh, own a Bible, you'd want to bring it. If you don't own one, time to go buy one. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I will give you a boatload of notes. Don't panic at the ones today. I was a little overboard. The first, first week, I went a little crazy. I admit it, I admit it, and I'm not going to say every word on those pages, but here's my theory about the notes. I hate it when I go to hear a speaker and they have something of substance to say and I want to get it down. I want to get the references or a quote or a name or something. And they're going so fast, I, I can't get it. And then I look back up and I lost the last three points that they said. So my theory is, and I, you know, leave, my, leave me to my illusions, my illusion is that someone here actually on a Tuesday afternoon goes home and looks through their notes and might look up a few verses and might re re refer back to some of the stuff that's on there. So what I give you is essentially my study notes. And then I'll teach my thing. And, and then you take it home. You can do whatever you want with it. Line the birdcage with it if you want to. But, but I will give you notes every week and theoretically they're, they're helpful to you. So don't panic. We're not going to, you know, whatever. Um, 
the, the normal thing is we come in about 9 o'clock, chitty chat, somebody volunteers to bring munchies. Today it was Suzanne. Oh my goodness, did you see that load over there? If you haven't gone, uh, you should sneak over there and grab some munchies here in a second when I quit yabbering. Um, so we'll get to a few minutes together, grab munchies, grab coffee, sit down. Normally we will have uh, uh, our music director here at Stony Brook. She'll lead us in worship of a couple of songs, just kind of get our minds focused. And then I'll teach for, on a good day, 35 to 40 minutes. On a not-so-good day, 45 minutes. Uh, and you should be done somewhere around 10 o'clock. I'm going to encourage you to sit around uh, when I finish and, and visit a little bit. Occasionally, I'll give you a, a study question this year. You know, Maybe you can just turn around. We don't set up formal small groups, nor is there formal homework. But I, I usually will try to give you something like, I think at the end I've got a memory verse for you and something to consider, that kind of stuff. Nothing, nothing critical, nothing that's going to take you, you know, 10 hours to do, but maybe something that might provoke a thought or two um, on you. Um, this year I'm adding to my Bible study notes uh, tips for studying God's Word, because I get asked a lot about how do you study the Bible, and so I'm going to throw a thought, just an easy one in there every week as well. So, again, line the birdcage with it, or or maybe it will be uh, helpful to you. So you should be out by around 10. We do have child care. Uh, if, um, if you'll notice, not today I don't think, but we'll pass a basket. Let me tell you what the basket's for. Um, child care, there is a charge, or at least we ask if you've got money to, to pay for your kid that day. If you don't, don't worry about it. Keep coming. We'll cover it. But that's how we pay the child care worker. And the rest of us, the Monas and Donnas and I of this world, that don't long, no longer have little ones in there. But we remember when we did and what a blessing it was to, to have child care. So if you come to Bible study and have an extra couple of bucks, throw it in the basket and know that you're helping somebody else. Their kid gets to, to come to child care. So no charges at all uh, for, for our Bible study. Um, there's also a a sign-up sheet that will go around. Every week you sign in. If there were a real emergency here, a nasty old earthquake, and we're in big trouble, the idea is we want a record of who all's in the building so we can do search and rescue kind of things. We take that serious at Sunnybrook. So every week you're going to just check your name and, and whatever. We're not calling you. I'm not going to bug you if you're not here one week, but it does help us. And if, if you would add your email address, then any announcements or whatever, we can, we can get it to you. So a sign-up sheet from time to time for the munchies. Um, the basket is for child care, uh, and, um, and we'll start you know, somewhere around right at 9 o'clock so we have enough time to get you out by close to 10. Does that sound all right? Any questions about how we do the study? Or? It's open to anyone. I get asked that, too. Uh, do you have to be a Stony Brook mom to come? No, you certainly don't. So if you've got a friend in your neighborhood and they're not in God's Word and you think they would benefit by it, drag them in. We'll... we'll We'll make, we're friendly people. We're friendly people. So, all right. Anything else? What am I forgetting? Somebody that knows better than me. Anybody? Okay. I must Did have covered have it. Did you have a sign for snacks yet? Or uh, I mean, there's not one on Okay. Okay. So, who would like to raise their hand and volunteer for <laughs> snacks next week? <laughs> Thank you, Candace. I so appreciate that hand. All right. And then we'll make sure, make sure we get the sun. Thank you, Candace. <laughs> I love people like her that don't know. What was that? I missed it. I just said no to self. No, it's a mess. All right. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, this is an important book. Not that any of your word isn't, but um, I'm coming to have 
great respect and appreciation for the words that are pinned in the book of Galatians. I pray that you'd help me to, to be a faithful teacher, to study your word, not just to get ideas that come from my brain, but that I might be prompted by the Holy Spirit and speak and teach things that will promote what you want. Help us to grow, Lord. That's the whole point. We're supposed to be coming, becoming more like your son. So we need the help. I pray this morning you open our eyes and our ears and our minds and teach us. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I had a chance to go to Philadelphia and visit uh, Independence Hall and do all the touristy kinds of stuff and saw the Liberty Bell. And I'm sure the Liberty Bell was on your mind this morning, so I want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, in, in about uh, 1751, the, the powers that be in Philadelphia decided they needed a bell. And so they sent over to Great Britain to have one cast in a foundry over there. And they sent over a, a, a beautiful bell. And they hung it in the belfry uh, there at Independence Hall or the church right next to it at that time. And they went up there to ding it, or, or ring it, I suppose is the right term, and it was a dud. It, it, it was a dud. There was either a crack or more cracks, or it just wasn't made right. So it, it you know, kind of lacked the, the whatever. So the powers that be decided that they would recast it, but use American guys. And so two gentlemen by the name of John, uh, John Stowe and John Pass... Uh, local guys who worked in a foundry there were given the job to recast the Liberty Bell. And so they decided that the problem was it didn't have enough copper. So they added a little copper to it. They got it all done. They hung it up there. They rang it, and it was a dud. And so um, at, at that point, you know, it was becoming part of the American scene, that Independence Hall and what was going on there, the the work in the Continental Congress and so on. It was really important to get a bell. So they decided one more time. They recast it, they hung it up, and, and it was okay, but not great. Because it was okay then, it was available to them on July 8th, uh, 1776, which was the first day that the Declaration of Independence was ever read publicly. So they rang the bell and out they came, and people discovered that the bell had an inscription on it. And the inscription on the bell comes right out of the book of Leviticus. And it, it talks about proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. Now what's there today is a fourth version, and it also has a big crack in it. But that, that inscription, that, that piece of God's word out of the book of Leviticus is still a part of our liberty bell. If you turn over a 50-cent piece or a lot of things that are a part of American history, you're going to see that verse there. The idea is that there was a necessity to proclaim liberty or freedom to all the inhabitants of the land. And that's what the book of Galatians does. It proclaims liberty. It proclaims freedom. It grabs the attention of believers and says... You don't have to be who you used to be. And in particular, Paul's going to address the issue of the Jewish believers that were coming to Christ imposing on the Gentile believers certain things that were not a part of the gospel. So someone right after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ who, who came in contact with the message of Jesus and was putting their faith in fact that Jesus' death was enough to cover their sin, they were being encumbered with all the rules and all the expectations of the Old Testament law. 
So we have a Bible in front of us. It's got 66 books in it. 39 of them are in the Old Testament. Many of those books contain what we call the law. It's not just the Ten Commandments. There's the ceremonial laws. There's the sacrificial laws. There's the laws about keeping the Sabbath. There, there are a ton. In fact, uh, more modern rabbis have codified the laws in the Old Testament, saying there are 613 of them. You can print them off on your printer. I did it last night. And, the, and then, then they lump them all into sections. And these are the things that you've got to do to show God you mean business. And Paul's going to come along with this book we call Galatians. Open yours, if you would. Go ahead and find it. It's in the middle of the New Testament. And, and Paul's going to come along and say, no, 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 no. Let's talk about liberty. Let's talk about the freedom we have in Christ. Don't go back. In fact, one of the little the concepts, the underlying uh, kind of theme for our study is going to be no U-turns. And there's so many applications of that, and we'll get into all of them. But from a standpoint of the book itself, it wants to make certain that we're proclaiming liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. So if you've got Galatians, let's look at Galatians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to say to you, what we're going to do today is we're going to figure out the who of Galatians. We're going to figure out the when. We're going to figure out the where. We're going to figure out the why. And then we're going to ask ourselves the big question I ask at the end of every Bible study. So what? What does that mean to us? So, so who's the who? Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. By the way, I use an NIV Bible. Whatever you use is your deal. But if you want to you know, see, see what I'm doing, grab your NIV. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of, of our Father, or our God and Father, to whom glory be forever and ever. Amen. So who's the who? The who is Paul. Paul, he says, hey, it's me, Paul, an apostle. He started his letters, which was usual in that day, with who was the writer. We, we tend to write, dear Robin, and then sign my name at the end. Their way of doing it was to start with, with who the author was. Galatians, like much of the New Testament, is a, is a letter. We call it an epistle. It's a letter. It's a letter a guy wrote to a church, or a guy wrote to a person. Or in this case, a guy, Paul, wrote to a group of churches. So he's identifying himself. He has two names. It's Saul and Paul. Uh, every good Jewish boy during those days would have had two names. They would have had a Jewish name identifying them with someone in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. In this case, with King Saul. But as a Roman citizen, Paul was also a Roman citizen, he would have had a Roman name. His Roman name might have meant something glorious, or it could have been a description. So in this case, it's probably a description. The word Paul in Greek is a, is a word for little or diminutive or small. And so Paul wasn't a big guy. We, he, he's not an imposing fella. And so his name kind of probably reflects that. Um, he, he is in our Bible, and the first place you'll find him is in Acts chapter 7. Uh, when the church started, after Christ's resurrection, it was in Jerusalem. They were under great persecution. And one of the guys that was the, one of the leaders in the early church, Stephen, was being stoned. And Paul was standing over to the side, according to Acts 7.58, 
And he was holding everybody's coats while they were chucking rocks and killing Stephen. He hated the church. As a good Jewish boy, he's described as a Pharisee of Pharisees, as a man of, of great learnedness in the Jewish faith. He hated that young upstart church. And so he's one of the early persecutors of it. That's where we see him first. We see uh, him starting to be developed as a character in the book of Acts. By the time we get to chapter 9, we actually see his conversion. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Now, he says, when he, when he identifies himself, he gives it a title. He's, he calls himself an apostle. The, the word apostle just means messenger. Uh, you know, if you were taking a message to your husband this afternoon, you could be calling yourself an apostle. It's just somebody who, who carried a message. But it came to mean an office, a, a, a position of, of authority. The 12 men that were chosen by Jesus to lead that early church, they were referred to in Luke 6 and, and in Matthew 10 by, by the term apostle. And some, some people have said, okay, that's it. That's the only apostles. But that not, that's not really true because there are 10 other leaders in the New Testament that one time or another get referred to as apostles, including uh, Paul. And Paul wasn't part of the first 12 leaders. He came along later. He, he carried that term as a term of, of, a, of a title. Uh, I am a leader. I am an overseer. I am responsible for believers. I am someone who has spiritual authority over people. And, and I'm devoted to the care and the ministry of this church. That's how Paul's using that term apostle. You could refer to your pastor as apostle. Try it. He, he won't like it, but try. Um, uh, I suppose you could refer to your Bible study leader with that, and I would like that, so feel free. Um, anyway, Paul, an apostle. Now, we need a timeline, because we've got a who and we got a what. Now we need a when. When did all this happen? Um, the timeline I gave you is just to give you a sense of history. So about 5 AD, he's going to be born. He's going to be born in... Uh, in Tarsus of Sicily, a, a, an area there uh, in the Asia Minor section. As I mentioned already, he's a Roman citizen. He's going to study at the feet of one of the most famous teachers of the day, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He gets found out in the book of Acts, first in chapter 5 and then in, in chapter 22. Gamaliel was the man. Um, they didn't have schools uh, in the way that we think of schools. But you went to study literally at the feet of. He would sit, you got on the floor, and he imparted knowledge. And there were key people all over the then known world that were, were world-recognized scholars. Gamaliel is one of them. So when Paul refers to himself as a student of Gamaliel, he's telling you, I've been to Harvard. I've been to Yale. I did my PhD at, you know, whatever, uh, St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, yes, I always wanted to study there. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> So he's a student. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Pharisee is a leader in the Jewish faith, uh, part, of, part of the council. Uh, he, he is known, as he grows up, having studied at the feet of Gamaliel, as, as a man of, of God. He has zeal, is a phrase that's used for him in the Bible. He hates the early church and the early Christians. He has zeal for the Old Testament, for the, the Jewish way of life. And I've already mentioned in 32 AD, he's around when Stephen gets stoned. Well, in chapter 9 of Acts, and you, this is what you ought to do this afternoon, is go read chapter 9 of Acts. Paul's going to get saved. Now, he is going to have a salvation experience 
wow. Now, I, I told you my story last week. Paul, if he were here and he was reading to you chapter 9 of Acts, his story is he's riding along on a horse and, and God knocks him off the horse with an audible sound and talks to him, gets his attention, confronts him with the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and Paul ends up blind, having to be led away into, into a, a, a man's home that he never lived in, you know, never, didn't know. His conversion was dramatic, right to left, dark to light, yet no to yes, overnight, over a, a, a period of, of moments. The, the classic line God says to Paul is, why are you kicking against the pricks? I am trying to get your attention. Why are you fighting me? And Paul stops his fight and turns his attention to Christ. And, and, and from the time of his conversion, now until till later, he's going to have... He's going to have some personal time with Jesus. So if you're in Galatians still, drop down to um, verse 11. I want to read a little bit more for you. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. To Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. I didn't see any of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Now, I'm going to stop right there. So, in this timeline, he gets converted. He goes to the, what we might call the backside of the desert. He, the Bible is calling it Arabia. It could have been any part of the then-known world that was on the eastern side of the River Jordan. So most of you have study Bibles, and in the back you have maps. And today we don't have time, but I trust me, we do maps. But if you looked at a map of Jerusalem and you saw that, the, or a map of Israel, you'll see that the River Jordan splits it. And on the right-hand side, what is now Jordan and Syria and up to the north is, is Lebanon, that whole area would have been referred to as Arabia. So when he says he goes for three years uh, into Arabia, we don't know exactly where he went. One author I was reading this week said he might have made it all the way down to Petra um, and, and some of the other parts of Jordan. We don't know. We do know that he had instruction directly from Jesus. And because he is a man of God and wants to preach, I'm confident that he was doing preaching. So then he comes back to Damascus, according to what we just read, makes an original trip to Jerusalem, He's there just 15 days. And then he goes and spends 14 years in Syria. Um, it's, not, it's not immediate. I mean, almost 17 years have passed between the time he gets knocked off his horse in Acts 9 and the time he actually shows up in Galatians 2 in Jerusalem with Barnabas. 
he, he has quite a, a, a period of time to prepare himself for God to teach him what he wanted him to know. And he said, why is that important? Look, the, the vast majority of our New Testament are epistles that Paul wrote. He, he is the reason you and I are saved today. If he had not gone into Asia Minor, and I got a nice map of that for you. Just look at that for a second. If he had not gone to what is now Turkey, so orient yourself to this little map. Black and white is tough, but you got the Mediterranean Sea. Those of you that have been on, you know, the Greek Isle tours, you can kind of see Crete and Cyprus. You got those big islands there. And if you look towards the right-hand corner of that little map, it says Black Sea at the top. So right underneath Black Sea is Bithynia and Pontus, and then to the right of that is the word Galatia. Do you see it? It's not a town, it's a region, it's an area, it's a county, it's a section. It's a section in the middle of Turkey. So when, when Paul is getting all this instruction as he's heading out, before he ever goes on his missionary journeys, he is getting what he needs to be ready to minister to all that area. He's going to take a total of four missionary journeys. And he's going to visit this place and that place and this place and that place. He's going to set up a church here and a church there and a church there. And he's going to come back on another missionary journey. And he's going to visit them again and reinforce. He's going to lead, leave uh, leaders uh, to, to run those churches. And at some point he's going to respond between the first and the second missionary journey to the Macedonian call. And he's going to go over into Greece. And had he not gone into Greece, then you and I would not have the gospel. Because the gospel would not have uh, infiltrated Europe. And we got it from Europe. So I sit here today with a, with a future in heaven because Paul did his work. And he was incredibly prepared. He got it from God. He didn't get it from man. Keep going on the timeline. You can see he's going to take a, a trip into uh, what we call the first missionary journey. Uh, I read somewhere that over the time of his journeys, he traveled over 10,000 miles. So if you're in Acts reading his salvation story, just keep reading. Because in chapters 13 and 14, you're going to see about his first missionary journey, where he went, where he stopped, not a lot of churches, kind of a short trip. Then he's going to end up going up to Jerusalem and confronting the leaders, that's Peter and John, because they weren't sure what to do with all these Gentile believers. Do we need to make them kind of Christian Jews? What do they have to do? not do and he makes a trip up to the council and is a participant in solving that problem then he goes on his second missionary journey which you can cover in acts 15 to 18 then he makes a third one on his second missionary journey takes silas he's been with barnabas he's going to take silas and timothy joins him on that trip then on the third one uh, reading again in acts 18 through 21 at some point he's going to get arrested he's going to spend some time in judea uh, and eventually he's going to play his, his Roman citizenship card and say, I, 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 you Jewish guys cannot put me on trial. I'm a Roman citizen. And he appeals to Caesar and he ends up going to Rome and being imprisoned there. And we think he was imprisoned twice. So the first time, uh, not as bad as the second time. Uh, and, and then ultimately gets out for a while. Uh, we call it his post-imprisonment uh, journeys. We're not exactly sure where he goes. We know he wanted to go to Spain, and maybe he did. We're not sure. But that's the life of Paul. Paul is busy from the time he gets knocked off that horse, from chapter 9 in Acts until the end of Acts, which is a story of the early church's development. Paul is the leader. He is at it. He's doing his thing. 
Now, I, I always like to know, okay, so he's, he's making these trips, and we have all these books in our Bible. What was the order? When did he write them? What, where, so I tried to give you some, some sense of when he wrote. So the, the church at Thessalonica got two letters, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. The first time somebody told me that back way when, I went, oh, I just thought it was a weird word, Thessalonica, Thessalonians. It's a church. It's a church in a place. Um, there's two of those. Galatians was written sometime around 55 to 57 AD. You can see the church at Corinth got two letters that we have recorded. We know that there are probably two, three other letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, but the two we have in our in our Bible are, are listed there. And then Romans, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and a little book called Philemon are called his prison epistles. He wrote them while he was in prison. Now, one of the things he says right there in, in verse uh, 1 and 2 is he talks about the brethren that are with him. Paul didn't travel alone. He had an inner circle. Then he had some, well, we're going to call them uh, independent co-workers, and then he had people that he placed in the churches, local church representatives. And so when he talks about the brethren that are with him, at any given time, he's got an entourage. You know, and, and they're named uh, you know, for you in, in various places. Probably the most prominent are Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. Silas sometimes is referred to as Silvanus, same guy. Um, they're, they're his most intimate circle. And then independent co-workers that come along for a while, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, a, a husband and wife team, uh, a guy by the name of Apollos, Titus becomes a young pastor, and he gets a letter in our Bible, uh, the, the book of Titus, and then about 40 other people that along the way he is instructing, mentoring, working with, and establishing them so that they can lead those churches as he makes his way around Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, and, and Greece. So that's his associates. Now the churches in Galatia, there, there, are, there are a number of them, but primarily a place called Antioch. Now there are two Antiochs, and this used to mess me up. I, I, for the longest time I thought the Saul in the Old Testament was the same Saul in the New Testament, so I wasn't too bright. But the two Antiochs have messed me up. There is an Antioch that's his hometown. It's the Antioch in Syria. Um, and then there's an Antioch in, in uh, Galatia. It's called Pisi uh, Pisidia, Pisidian, Antioch of Pisidia. So two Antiochs, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. Those are the, the, the prominent kinds of places, or, or cities rather, in the, in the region of Galatia. So when he wrote this book, it didn't go to one church. It went to that church, and then they passed it over to that church, and then they passed it over to that church. Then they pass it over to that church. Now that happened with all of the New Testament. So the, the book of Colossians, it, it talks about, hey, make sure you get this over to the Ephesians. And the Ephesians took that one over, to, you know, <coughs> backwards to the Colossians, the church at Colossae. But in particular, the, the book of Galatians is to a region, to a group of, of churches, not to a specific church. He wants to address their concerns. He wants to get after them about a problem that he sees happening. So if you got your Bible open to Galatians 3, look at verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? That's a crux question for the Galatians. 
Did you come to faith, saving faith, by keeping the law or by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Critical question needed to be addressed. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, those of you that have been around me for a while know I've said to you at, time, at various times, I would never have wanted to be a Jewish woman in the time of the Old Testament. I, I would have gone crazy. Absolutely crazy. I would have brought a sacrifice, best I could get, put her down, walked away and gone, oh, there was a little spot on the inside of his back leg. I know it. I saw it. It wasn't perfect. I got to go get another lamb. And I would have gone out and tried to find another lamb. I, I've told you the story before, those of you that have been here, but I was raised a Roman Catholic, and when in that, in that tradition you have something called your first confession and your first Holy Communion. And in my first confession, they had trained us that we were supposed to review our entire life up to that point as we gave a confession. And I was, I don't know, nine or something at that time. And so I sat down, I'm analytical, I admit it, but I sat down and said, well, I fight with my brother about three times a night, times seven, that's 21 a week, times four, that's eight, whatever, times nine years, no, I'll give myself some slack, I wasn't even talking until I was three. So, you know, I had a, I had a number, you know, 2,455,611 fights with my brother. Then, then I came up with, you know, lousy attitude with my mom. Well, that's about two times a week, I had a number. Telling lies. I had a number. I had a number. I had a number. So when I got there, I got it all memorized. I got my numbers. I get in there. I do my stick. Say my little ritual prayer. And tell the priest, you know, I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. Say, very gracious, whatever. Go out. Say these few prayers and you're good to go. I went out. I was like one of the first in line. I went out. I said my prayers. And then I was standing out in front of the church and I went, I forgot one. <laughs> You know, I remember that time that I pushed that girl in school, and I didn't tell that. What else did I forget? And I, I came up with three or four. I went and got back in line. I went back up to the priest. And, you know, in the, in the little ritual, you say, it's been so long since my last confession. So, you know, it's been about a minute and a half since my last confession. That's who I am. Now, can you imagine under Jewish law? I mean, just the, the, the intensity of trying to meet the standard, both, both ethically and morally and sacrificially and, and having to do with, with all the, the rules, having to what you dress and what you do. He understands that these young uh, Gentile believers are being drugged back into a system that does not match the freedom that's being given them in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it just keeps going. Look over in chapter 4, verse number 10, as, as in another example. He says, You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You, churches in Galatia, you're sliding back. The freedom that you have in Christ to worship on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday, in the morning, at night, in the middle, with friends, uh, alone. You are sliding back to, well, we've got to keep the Sabbath. We have the feast days where it's the festivals. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. He's concerned that they're, that they're hearing a message, that, that the, the teachers are preaching a, a gospel that is, that is sliding back into an old set of rules. 
let me give you an example of, of how easy this is to happen. So, so in the Ten Commandments, it says, keep holy the Sabbath. There's a law. There's a rule. Keep holy the Sabbath. By the way, we violate that horribly. And so if you're looking for a little personal Bible study, go look at what the Sabbath is and how awful we are for not keeping it. But um, they had the rule, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, now the rabbis came along and said, now the translation of that is no work. No work. Now they're an agrarian society. They got to go to the well to get water. They got to go off and take an ear of corn off of the stalk in order to eat. They still need to eat on the Sabbath. They have all kinds of rules about it. So, so, so the so the rabbis came along with clarifications. So the rule is keep holy the Sabbath. Clarification: no work. Okay. Another clarification: no plowing. Oh, okay. Next clarification, no dragging your chair across the dirt floor of your house because it creates furrows or little lines that look like plow lines. So thou cannot pull thou chair across the floor. Wow. <laughs> okay, no work. No winnowing, no going and separating the che, the chaff from the, from the kernel. So they took that to mean if you're eating peanuts and you know the little shells, not the, the hard shells, the little little skin part, no blowing on peanuts. Because <laughs> if you blow on peanuts, you have winnowed that little skin off of the peanut. You want to live in this? No dissection. So animals could not be dissected. So here's a piece of fruit. You got three kids. You want to give them a piece of fruit. The rabbis came up with give them big pieces, not little pieces. Because if they're little pieces, you're dissecting. But if it's a big piece, it's not dissection. Getting the idea? I'll give you one more. No work. Combing your hair is okay. And they had a number. How many times you could stroke your hair? You want to know why? Because if you stroked it too much, the hair's going to fall off. You're going to want to pick it up, and that would be work. Those kinds of rules, they were under a, a, a technical term called a halakha. Those were the, what Paul was trying to preach with the New Testament. He, or, excuse me, with the New Covenant. He's saying in the Old Covenant, yes. They were confined to keeping the law. Now, the rabbis added all kinds of extra effort to it. But yes, there is a set of rules. And in the Jewish line, in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish faith, the keeping of those rules is how you placate God. If you want to have a good, right standing with God, you do these things. The gospel came along when Jesus offered himself. And he declared from the cross in a loud, loud voice, it is finished. What was he saying? That, that encumbrance of, of measuring up, of having to do performance-based stuff to make God happy with you has been stopped. And now by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we now come to God and look to him and say, by your grace and by your mercy, may your blood cover my penalty and I stand before you clean. It is finished. Why would you ever want to go back? That's the message of Galatians. 
So what's the so what? The so what is we want to embrace the gospel. Now let me let me stop here a second. If I were to say to, to my uh, oldie moldy friends, I'm looking at Donna and Mona back there. I'll throw Susie into that, into that crowd too. So these three ladies are, are, are wanting to, to really uh, be involved in some spiritual uh, projects and service. And so they get together and they pray about it and they decide they're going to take the gospel uh, to, I don't know, Cabo for the weekend. <laughs> No, they're, they're going to go on a mission trip, and they're going to take the gospel. Now, first off, let's get an understanding of what the word gospel means. The word gospel just means good news. It is the good news that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. It is the good news that his salvation has covered us. I have a, a nice little quote there. It's biblical, meaning it comes right out of the scripture. The death, the resurrection, according to what the scripture has to say. It's theological, and I love this word, salvific, salvific, salvific. Meaning it's just producing salvation. Christ died for our sins. He reconciled us to God. When I stand before the Lord at, at, at the time of, of my immediate death, and, I, and I'm face to face with him, I am not standing there in my stead. There's no, you know, I hope St. Peter will let me in. That is ludicrous. I get to be before God because of what Christ has done on my behalf. That's the gospel. It's historic, meaning that it comes right out of actual events. One of the most exciting studies about the Bible is that all of this stuff happened very soon after Jesus died. We have, we have excellent records, very reliable, outside of the Bible sources to tell us that what's sitting in our lap is accurate and important. It's apostolic, meaning it came right from the guys that were there, and it becomes intensely personal. My salvation is mine. And I stand before the Lord, or if, or if they are going to go on this trip, they're going to stand before these people with the gospel. Now, we understand it in that context. We share the gospel. Someone who is not a believer, we give them those, those historic facts. We refer them to the, to the scriptures involved. We give the gospel to someone that's lost, unsaved, doesn't know God. And, and they, they think about, or relate to, hopefully choose to, join us by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. So we give the gospel to unsaved people. The truth of the matter is, the ladies, you and I need the gospel every single day. It's not just the unsaved people that need the gospel. Paul's going to make a huge, big deal about the gospel in the book of Galatians. And he does it because he knows how critical it is to the life of the believer, not just the unbeliever. We think in terms of, oh, I'll go give her or them the gospel. No, I need the gospel every single morning. The Bible says in, in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but it's the power un, uh, of God unto my, unto my sanctification, unto my life, unto my growth, unto my development. It is, it is God reconciling the world to himself, yes, in a saving kind of way, but also in an everyday kind of way. When we think about what Christ did for us and the good news associated with Jesus and what he is offering us, that sustains the believer. It doesn't just introduce us to God. It's not just a passport that gets stamped and now we're good to go. 
It's a relationship. And the gospel, when we review the cross, when we review what Jesus did, when we review the scriptures associated with the good news, it, 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 it addresses our fears. It gives us confidence. It, it, it will humble our pride. If you're getting a little big for your britches and you start meditating on the, on the cross, you come back down to size in a hurry. It, it, is, it is that which will help us if we get confused. We're in, a, we're in a dark period. Is God there? Oh, yeah. The cross. Oh, let me think about that a minute. Oh, yeah. He died for me. Oh, yeah. His blood has sustained or covered my sin. Oh, yeah. God is not holding me accountable for my sin anymore. It has been washed by the blood. Oh, yeah. I begin when I'm confused or forgetful. Or maybe I have sin to deal with. I, I recognize something in my life. And I go, oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I was washed in the blood, but it still creates a, a barrier to my fellowship with the Lord. I need to address it. I need to confess it and move on. All of those come because as believers, we think about the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior. I'm convinced that in an evangelical church setting, we spend a lot of time talking about the gospel as, it was, as if it was a message we were shipping overseas. And we don't spend enough time looking at each other and saying, Cammie, I needed the gospel this morning. I woke up worried and nervous about teaching today. And I needed to be reminded it's not about me. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And Cammie got up this morning and needed the gospel. I read a story, and I'll end uh, with this story. There was a guy that was doing some ministry work uh, in the Middle East, in a Muslim country. And uh, they had had some successes. Some, some people had come to Christ. And the local authorities hated it, so they came in and arrested them. So those people, Muslim people, were, were held in prison. While they were in prison, they had the gospel. They knew it. Guess what they did? They shared it with everybody that was in the prison. For whatever reason, the authorities let out the, the, the new believers that had been imprisoned, and they came back to church on Easter Sunday, and they brought with them the people that they shared their story with in prison. What do you think that church service was like? Do you think it was just in a regular old Sunday? Yeah, gospel. Yeah, he's died. Yeah. I bet you it was not. I'll bet you those new baby Christians that went and shared the gospel with someone else and then came back to their church, when they talked the gospel that day, it meant something. It wasn't just a message to go out there. It was a message for them too. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in here uh, about the gospel and the desire to not go back to being encumbered we want to unpack that so help us in the meantime lord just help us every single day to get up and rehearse and refresh our memory of the events of the cross and the importance of it applying to our life pray this in jesus name amen Amen.